Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. I believe that this is an extremely important time in the life of Christianity. I believe this is a critical moment, a pivotal moment in the history of mankind, and we need to hear what God is saying at this time. It has been a while that the church has been reactive to what is happening in the world, and God is saying, I'm going to change all of that and put you ahead of what is happening. Um, Let's start by saying that this is challenging times. You know, I know so many people that have lost loved ones on some groups where we are supporting COVID-19 people that are positive. There are people dying every single day. There are people losing loved ones every single day. There are businesses closing and there are people losing jobs every single day. And we cannot sugarcoat it. We can't make it as if it's nothing. We need to know that this is the most challenging time in the history of mankind in just about the last hundred years. This is a time that truly we need to take note and saying, what are we going to do as the church in this time? Um, Let's just try, people are comparing this pandemic to the Spanish flu. So let's just compare it in South Africa. The people came back from the First World War in about 1918. And they were landed in Cape Town and they were tested and people said, no, these guys have just got a normal flu. They don't have any special kind of flu. And they went there by train and by horse to all the different places in South Africa. And in the month of October of 1918, 300,000 people died in South Africa with the Spanish flu in a six-week period. Okay? We, the highest counts that we have so far of deaths after a year is 100,000. So if you have 300,000 in six weeks, you're talking about a real problem. They're talking about a real issue. And I'm not denying that this is a challenge, but I'm letting us understand that that was a really big influence. Worldwide, it was a much, much higher death toll than what we've had with this. But I'm not denying that this is a tough time. I'm saying something happened during those times. I want to share with you towards the end what happened to the church in the time of the Spanish flu. They also had lockdown. They weren't allowed to meet. They had the same thing than us. But something changed. Something happened. So if we look at the Bible in times when there were tough times, then we'll start in Exodus 1. And uh, we know that Joseph, at the end of Genesis, brought all of the Israelites, his 12 brothers, to Egypt. And we have the names there, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendant of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already there. So 70 people came to Egypt. And it wasn't long, and we know that they were millions. They had grown from being just a few people to millions. 
And then a new king came in verse 8. Then a new king came to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far outnumbered for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. So what happens is that out of fear, the world or the spirit tries to control the Jews or the Christians. And what happens? In, um, so they will, in the war breakout, they will join the enemies and fight against us and leave the country. Verse 11. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built two cities as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. Verse 12. The more they are oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. And this is what I'm believing for Christianity at this time. The more they're going to stop us from meeting in our buildings, the more they're going to say, you cannot have Christianity the way you know it. So we are going to thrive. So we are going to grow. So we are going to absolutely become more powerful. And so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And so at this time, the Christians are experiencing true pressure. There's something tough happening. It's not as easy as what it was two years ago. It's not so much just happening by itself. We now have to push in and start saying, God, what is happening at this moment? And verse 13, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Sephra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew woman during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. If you see she's a girl, let her live. But that same spirit of death, like it's coming against the pastors and the churches at the moment, came against the Israelites at that time. It was trying to stop what was happening. God was raising up a Moses, and Pharaoh was trying to kill the process of somebody that could lead the Israelites into freedom. That's why he was killing the boys, because of the calling that he knew was on a Moses. He said, let me take out all the boys. And this is the same that is happening at the moment. The men of God are being decimated by this pandemic because the call of God is at a challenge. The call of God is being challenged. And so the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let them live. And the king of Egypt said, why are you doing this? And verse 19, they said, well, these girls are so strong, they're just doing it on their own. Um, if we can jump to verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. There is a word out against the calling of those that are supposed to lead the Israelites into freedom. It was all aimed at killing the calling that was upon Moses. But what do we know about God? He always has a plan. He always has a saving plan. We know the story well that Moses was put uh, into a basket and hidden in the reeds. 
and eventually he grew up right in Pharaoh's palace. He grew up right under the nose of the very one that was trying to stop him from coming to his calling. What happens then? Let's jump to Matthew. What happens to Jesus' time? We know that Herod, in Matthew 2 and verse 16, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all the districts from two years old and under. Why was he doing that? Because he knew there was a King Jesus that was born. He didn't know who it was, but he thought, if I kill all of them, then there cannot be anybody that challenges my kingship. Then I cannot let anybody live that would um, overthrow me. He thought that Jesus was coming to overthrow him. He thought that the kingship on Jesus was going to threaten his kingdom. But it's not what Jesus came to do. We'll talk about what Jesus came to do. But the issue is that the same spirit of death came because the Satan knows the calling that was upon Jesus. And just like he knew the calling that was upon Moses. But Satan's plan never works. The Bible is proof that Satan can have the plan, but God has another plan always. God has a way out all the time. And I want to tell you, God has got you. God has got a way out for you. God has thought about this already a long time ago. Oh, praise God. Oh, Every time there's an attack on the calling, God had a plan. Joseph went to Egypt with Jesus. It's funny that he goes to Egypt, the very place where Israel was oppressed. And Moses was taken to the palace in Egypt to protect him from the very power that was trying to take him out. Then let's go to the burning bush. 80 years after Moses was saved and hidden in a basket. He'd gone through much in his life. He comes to a place in Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to the Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see what's happening here. Church, I want that to start stirring in us. The people of Israel are going through a hard, hard time in Egypt. They are physically dying. They are being truly oppressed in every single way possible. But Moses has moved away and he's comfortable and safe. He's having his little family there and he's looking after his sheep. Nobody's bothering him. His life is comfortable. And unfortunately, that's where many Christians are today. Their life has become comfortable, and as long as they, nobody fiddles with their life, they're okay. But the Christian, the church of God, needs a burning bush experience. We need a moment where we realize it's not about our comfort anymore. It's not about us and our little family and our little things. It is about the calling of God. It is about what God is saying. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Can I ask you, church, to say, here I am? 
Just close your eyes wherever you are and respond to God and say, here I am. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of the people, of, of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. God is saying, I'm concerned about your suffering. I'm aware of your suffering. I'm aware of what the children of God is going through. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. It's the place that we call Rehoboth. God is saying, I'm calling you out of that place of pressure, of suffering, of death, and I'm moving you into a place of space, a man, land flowing with milk and honey. And he says, the land of the Canaanites. Verse 16, or oh, sorry, verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 10, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God is sending his church to make a change. He's kicked the church out of their comfortable church buildings so that they can make a change, so that they can have an influence, so that they can have a voice. God is saying you cannot just be comfortable anymore in your little holy huddle. I am here to, because I've heard the cry of my people. I have seen the suffering and I want you, Church of Christ, to make a change. I want you to make a change. And what does Moses say? What all of us have said a million times. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? Why me? Use somebody else. They better qualified. They, that will suit them better. They leave me in my little place. Yeah. Businessmen, you are called to more than being businessmen. You are called to have an influence. Do not give your calling up for the love of money. Do not give your calling up for the love of your comfort. God has called you to stir and change this country. Amen. Don't run. Make a change. Don't be a Moses that says, why me? Because just now, Moses said, here I am. And now he's saying, why me? He's gone from, here I am, Lord, I'm listening, to know God, use somebody else. Oh, my word, I can think of lots of people that are better qualified than me to stand here. I can think of many that can stand here in my place. But God is called, and I have to respond. Who am I that I should stand, should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You see, it was 80 years since Moses' life was in danger. 80 years ago, God was already thinking about a burning bush experience. The Israelites hadn't even prayed yet. But God had made a plan already. God had already had a process in place with Moses before the Israelites started praying. Before they started crying out to God. Before they were so oppressed that they were in desperate trouble. And God has made a plan for you. So even before you've prayed the prayer. Even before you have expected God to make a change. God is a multi-generational God. 
And he's not thinking about your comfort today and tomorrow. He's thinking about your ministry 10, 20, 30 years from now. Change your focus, church. Change your focus. Praise you, Lord God. Moses was 80 years old when the burning bush experience happened. And God is always thinking years ahead, generations ahead. God has a plan in place long before we need it. Moses was saved from Pharaoh 80 years before he would confront the new Pharaoh. What happened to Jesus? He was saved 33 years before he would deal with sin once and for all. He was saved and lived through the time of Herod by his dad Joseph taking him to a safe place long before the time came that he had to do and pay the price for all of us. Because God's plan is way ahead of ours. God's plan is very different to ours. And I want to say, church, start thinking multi-generational. Start thinking about your children's ministry. Start thinking about your grandchildren's lives. Because that's where God is in. God is into the next step and the next phase. Your comfort today, your comfortable life today, will bear fruit. 10, 20, 30, 40, 80 years from now. What fruit is it going to bear in the next generation? Cool. God has got you and he will see you through. This virus has plowed through the pastors, leaving many churches uncared for. And in this time of Herod, killing babies or Pharaoh killing the boys, families are hurting and hospitals are full. The rules and regulations feel so draconian it feels like the very way the Israelites felt under Pharaoh. But businesses are closing and people are losing their jobs. But God is focused on a burning bush experience. God is focused on the church waking up. God is focused on the church saying, here I am. God is focused on the church that says, why me? <laughs> In Exodus 3 and verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. God has heard your cry. And God is concerned about your suffering. And God is putting something or somebody in place to get you out of that situation. God is working already on a Moses with a burning bush experience before you even cried out. Before you even lost your job, God was busy planning your next step. Before you even were in desperate trouble in your business, God was working on your next deal. Before the church was closing, God was already working on the process of the church getting out on the streets and into little groups and affecting change like that. I shared with you just now that in a six-week time in South Africa, 300,000 people died in the Spanish flu. But in that same period, worldwide, the Pentecostal group grew so fast, it was growing by 52,000 people a day. As the church was oppressed and they said, close the churches. You cannot meet in a church. And they were forced to only meet in small groups and there was no Facebook and Instagram and Zoom and WhatsApp. They grew by 52,000 people a day worldwide, the charismatic movement. So this oppression that we're going through at the moment, don't moan about it, start operating in it. Start finding the way that you can live out your calling outside of these four walls. 
saying, God, how are we going to affect our community while we are not being able to meet together the way we know it? The church was comfortable like Moses was with his little family there, working for his father-in-law, looking after his sheep, having his wife and children. Everything was hunky-dory. But God said, there's a people crying out. There's a people in need. There's a people that I have appointed you for, for doing the work. Forget about your comfort and get off your backside and go and lead them out of their trouble. Church of Christ, we are called to make a change. We are called to have an influence. We are called to be a voice in the wilderness. I pray that today will be a burning bush experience for more of us. For more of us will say, God, here I am, like Moses did. Oh, Jesus. Don't we all say like Moses, why me? God answers, because I chose you. Because I chose you. Oh, you can run, but you cannot hide. <laughs> you can delay the calling, but you cannot hide from what God has set you up to do. You have got to grab it with both hands. Because the later you leave it, the harder it gets. Oh, shiondoro no kushiendoro no in Matthew 1, verse 20. But after he had considered this, is now Joseph, Jesus' dad. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Jesus, because he will save his people. From their sin. Whoa, why is it so quiet? We thought Jesus is going to come and solve our problems. We thought Jesus is going to come and make us rich. We thought Jesus is going to come and make us comfortable. He's going to come and save you from your sin. He's going to come and change your life in the ways that you never expected. He's going to come. His name is Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the anointed savior. To come and change you from your sin. You see what man wants. Or the position for the world at the moment. Is man plus his sin is going to hell. What man wants is man plus his sins plus Jesus. And then we must go to heaven. But what God is doing. Is man plus Jesus minus our sin. And then we are going to heaven. Doesn't mean we cannot ask for forgiveness. But we must expect God to change us. We must expect God to deal with our sins. Quote Matthew 1 and verse 21 to God until you change. Quote it to yourself until you change. Because Jesus, I've come here to save you from your sin. And maybe for some of us, comfort is our sin. Maybe for us, some of us sitting comfortably in church is our sin. And God had to kick us out. So that we could realize it's more than what's happening in these four walls. Come Holy Spirit, come and touch your people. Come Holy Spirit, let us move. Whew. Yesterday as we were praying over the police service of South Africa, the Lord just laid Nehemiah on our heart all over the place. A few of us prayed it and the Bible, the wind blew it open on Nehemiah. And I know that this is the time of Nehemiah. This is the time of taking notice 
of the condition of the church of Christ. Can we read from Nehemiah 1? The words of Nehemiah, son of Aikalah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Anna, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And this is what they said to me. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and in disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burnt with fire. The walls of the church have been fallen down, and it's been burnt with fire. It's time, church, that we get like Nehemiah does in the next verse. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. When last have you prayed and fasted about the condition of the church at this stage? The condition of the church of God at this stage is a mess. It's ugly, it's dirty, the world's laughing at the church. Because the church is not taking its role seriously. Oh, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted. We're going into our fast this week. We're going into every single day. At 6 o'clock in the morning, there will be a broadcast on Frontline's Instagram page that will tell you what are we praying for today. And then there will be another one at 6 o'clock in the evening on Facebook that will tell you what is doing and what we are praying for. I'm asking you, Church of God, join us in this fast. Join us in this process. This last week of January, Grant shared that if we can make the first fruits holy, the rest becomes holy. If we make January holy, the rest of the year becomes holy. Let's take this last week of January and say, God, I am consecrating this week to you. I'm pushing in because I want a fresh touch from you. I cannot let the church of God stay the way it is. I can't let myself stay the way I'm at. I have to change. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days, and I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, the Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants the people of Israel. I confess the sins we of Israelites, including myself and my family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave our servant Moses. As a country, we have to repent for the state of our country. Instead of judging everybody else what they're doing wrong, we must start repenting. and Saying, you know what, I messed up. I'm not 100% right. I'm carrying hatred in my heart. I'm carrying bitterness in my heart. Father God, change me. Then we're going to see a changed country. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Verse 8. <clears throat> Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even your exiled people are at the farthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to a place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. 
Here are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of the servant and be a prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He's asking for success, but not to make himself more comfortable. He's asking for success to change a country, to change the future of a nation. Church, we need the spirit of Nehemiah to rise up in this time. It's so easy to just become more relaxed. Well, we can't go to church, so I can go to the beach. Well, I can't even do that. But there's just a relaxed atmosphere that comes into the church. Instead of rising up like those who came through the times of the great Spanish flu and said, well, we can't have church, but we'll open our church to be used as a hospital. We can't have church, but we'll go visit the sick. At the risk of our own lives, we will reach out to be able to make a change in this time. And I'm not saying be foolish and go into places where you shouldn't go. But I'm saying let us change our attitude, church, and say, well, church is now only once a week for half an hour on uh, Facebook, so the rest of the week I don't have to serve God. No, church, find the way of serving God within this time. Find the way of worshiping in Him on your own. Find a way of getting together with the lonely and the weak and those that cannot get onto Facebook or WhatsApp or Zoom or anything like that. We have a calling to fulfill it this time. Oh, praise you, Jesus. Lord God, let this be the time of Nehemiah. Let this be the time of Moses. Let it be the time of Jesus. After the Spanish flu, the Pentecostal church grew by 19 million people every year. For more than 30 years, a revival of 19 million people a year came out of that oppression. What is going to come out of this one? What is going to come out of this time of being closed? If they could lead 19 million people to Christ in small groups without Facebook and without Twitter and without um, Instagram, what are we able to do in this time? What are we able to achieve in this time? Let us stand up and rise up. Let us rise up with a passion in our heart to say, I can do something. I can have a moment. I can influence one person. I can encourage that one at work. I can hold the hand of somebody that has lost a loved one. I can pray for somebody on the streets. I can join the outreaches that are happening every Saturday morning. I can go and pray with when there's a prayer that needs to be done. I can make a bold declaration that I'm here and God, you can count on me. Like Moses said, here I am. So I say, here I am, God. Church of Christ, are we ready to say, here I am? This is your moment, church. This can be just another service that goes by and say, oh, well, that was a nice preach. Or you can say, hey, I heard the word of God saying, I heard the cry of the people of God. I've seen the suffering and I'm going to become part of the answer. I'm going to become part of the solution. I'm going to find a way to live out my passion and my love for God by showing it in a passion and a love for his people. Because that is what's needed. 
I'm willing to give up my comfort like Moses did and follow you with all you have so that I can see lives change the way that Moses saw a whole tribe, a whole nation's direction changed because one man said yes to God. One man said, I'll do what it takes. I don't like it. I don't want it. There's other people that are better than me at doing it. But if you, God says, I must do it, then I'll do it. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website, www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.